we need to do research to better understand what happens when we don't catch it early, when a patient now has metastatic cancer that has spread, and can we develop better ways of helping these patients? Because that's where death occurs. Death in breast cancer is linked to that cancer spreading. So understanding that process is essential for research. Hey, Night Nation. What an interesting and enlightening conversation that I got to have with Dr. Annette Khalid from UCF's College of Medicine. Dr. Khalid is the head of the Division of Cancer Research at UCF and has been recognized for her breast cancer research, specifically in breast cancer metastases. In today's episode, we speak about the personal experiences that she's had that derive the passion for her work, collaborative culture of teamwork, optimism, and humanity here at UCF, and some of the biggest mysteries of breast cancer that we're still trying to solve. Let's jump into it. So begin, how did your interest with medicine, specifically working with breast cancer, develop? Yeah, that's a great question. So my background, and I'm a basic scientist. I really don't work directly in medicine. So I ask those basic biology questions. Why do things happen? And I was working on something about how do cells die? What causes a cell when it's happily growing and suddenly all its growth signals go away and it dies? What's happening inside of that cell? And it really was in the process of understanding the molecular events that were happening in these dying cells that kind of led us to discover what could potentially be a therapeutic for cancer. And that's how we ended up now jumping into breast cancer and really working on both a therapeutic and a diagnostic for breast cancer, but kind of moving from those basic discoveries to some application in medicine. Wow, how cool. So as of this year, the World Health Organization has found that breast cancer is the most common cancer globally. Can you share with me some of the importance of early screenings for breast cancer, as well as the need for continuous research of the disease? Both those aspects are tied together. So early screening cannot emphasize enough the importance. Any cancer, especially breast cancer, if you find it early, when it's still inside the breast, it's still localized to one place in the breast, it's much easier to treat. You can remove it surgically. You can treat it very well. And outcomes are like 90% or 99% survival. So early screening is essential. Early detection is essential. And then why do we have to do research? Well, unfortunately, some people, they don't catch it early. Sometimes they catch it when it's already showing symptoms, when it's spread. It may be in the liver. It may be in the brain and the bones. And at that point, we don't have enough understanding of how that happened, why that happened. So we need to do research to better understand what happens when we don't catch it early, when a patient now has metastatic cancer that has spread and Can we develop better ways of helping these patients? Because that's where death occurs. Death in breast cancer is linked to that cancer spreading. So understanding that process is essential for research. Are there things you can Mm -hmm. notice within somebody that maybe they should say to themselves, I should get checked because I'm having this symptom or I'm feeling this sort of lump or I'm just feeling off? Cancer is hidden. Cancer is your own body. It's your own tissues doing bad stuff to you. And so it's really hard to wait for symptoms. That's why screening is so much more important. You should be screening yourself and there's guidelines. You should be screening by a certain age, by a certain risk factor. You can do genetic testing, but it's only a portion of cancers that are linked to a genetic outcome. So from my perspective, and it's my own personal opinion, I think early screening is the best way. Get your mammograms every year. When you're due, get your mammograms. Don't wait for the symptoms. Because sometimes when the symptoms show up, it's too late. That's good to be proactive. Instead of being Mm -hmm. forced to be reactive, 
sort of getting ahead of the curve. Exactly. What you're saying, it sounds as though a lot of people are forced to enter that reactive phase due to mm-hmm. maybe outside circumstances that prevented them from being proactive on mm-hmm. the situation. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that reactive phase, it sounds like you have to go all in on focusing on how can I mm-hmm. give myself the best opportunity to treat this. And it sounds like from what you're saying is that a lot of people don't go into this alone. They have these circles and these groups that support them and help them along the way. And as mentioned, breast cancer is one of the most common cancers found globally. Support to know that you're not alone in yeah. these situations. Do you find that's well, an important aspect? And not at to all? be, it's scary, right? You get a cancer, doctor says, I have cancer. What did I do? Why did this happen to me? Why did I do something? It's disease happens sometimes. And having support, having an understanding that there are great therapies out there. There's the survival is so much better now than it was in the past for breast cancer. There's lots of treatment options and just get the support you need. You're not doing this alone. You know, we have great support systems for breast cancer. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. We can do things. If you have, unfortunately, that cancer diagnosis, there are many avenues available. My grandmother is a breast cancer survivor. So breast cancer awareness is a very personal topic for me. Mm-hmm. Of course, she had it. I'm so thankful that she survived it, beat it. I was younger, so I wasn't fully able to grasp how it affects somebody's body. But I saw firsthand how it affects the lives of my own personal family and herself. I'm so thankful that she lives in Florida. So we're able to visit her and to be there for her Mm -hmm. in this time. And I mean, there's just this weight that comes off of just this collective of people when, you know, we found out that she had overcome it. It's beating it that gives you that, wow, this is not the end of my life. This is something that happened along my life. But, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's what, what drives the research as well is being able to advance that, hopefully to the point where your grandkids will no longer see cancer as a threat. Cancer happens, there's treatments, goes away, we're done. And hopefully take that threat from our lives. When my grandmother was affected by it, she was in her, I believe, late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s. And when mm-hmm. she beat it, she was in her mid, I believe, mid 70s. So we mm-hmm. have this joke, nothing's going to keep her down. Nothing's going to stop her. If she's beating yeah. breast cancer in her 70s. It was a really just something that you don't forget. You don't forget that period of your life where mm-hmm. in the back of your head, we were like, this mm-hmm. could just any day just like happen. So true. Yeah. So to transition from that, Annette, you spent nearly a decade studying ways to inhibit breast cancer metastases, which happens when cancer spreads to all other parts of the body. What have been some of the most important discoveries that you've found? I think the most important discovery we found, I was telling you earlier that, you know, we were studying this death pathway in cells and came up with a therapeutic, trying to understand why the therapeutic was killing really led us to discover a protein that had really never been associated with cancer before. And it's a protein that helps other proteins fold, basically get the right three-dimensional shapes. Proteins have three-dimensional functionalities. And so this protein that we found our therapeutic was targeting was involved in this folding process. That had never been associated with cancer, and especially with metastatic cancer, like you said, the cancers that spread throughout the body. Really finding how this protein was working, how it was contributing to cancer spreading, that has been probably what I feel one of the best discoveries that we have made in the last few years and really drives our research now. Seeing that there's these links between parts of the body and how they react when cancer is discovered in the body? Is that, am I getting what you're saying? Yes. So you, you think about a cancer when it's inside the breast, when it's localized, has 
certain needs, right? Because it's growing in this breast environment. But once the cancer leaves its home from the breast and it travels and it goes through the blood, I mean, the stresses in the blood are horrendous. Most cancer cells die when they hit the bloodstream because they can't survive. But if you do survive, and those that survive need different survival factors than they did when they were in the home, in the breast. And then think of that. They have to now land in a new place. Like they end up in, in the liver. And the liver is very different from the breast, and it's very different from the blood. So it has to learn to adapt to that new environment. So the protein that we've been studying, we think, helps those cancer cells do exactly that, survive while they're in the bloodstream, survive when they get to the new site in the liver to, to grow and colonize again. That's why you know, it's, it's of interest to us, because if what we're discovering is true, then we do have a really great target as a therapeutic target for these types of metastatic cancers. We spoke about sort of the community aspect of this. Do you find that the mental well-being of a patient can be akin to the medical well-being of a patient? Oh, that is so true. I think just having hope. And I think that's part of, I mean, I really enjoy interacting and, and talking like I'm done today with you, talking to any, anybody who's interested in, in what we do, because I think it gives people hope to know that my laboratory and all the other people in the cancer division, we're all working hard on trying to find cures for cancer, that we have their back. We're doing this because we want to be able to give them hope that maybe we're, we can't cure cancer today, but we're working hard to find new discoveries that will lead to new treatments for cancer in the future. I, I love what you're saying about the hope and the mm-hmm. optimism and to know mm-hmm. that every day students are waking up and going to places mm-hmm. like UCF where their focus is cancer research and Mm -hmm. that there's this generation of students worldwide who is working, again, individual types of cancer, but that every day students are going and that cancer research departments are still prominent and are funded and are a vital aspect of health departments at universities. I love that you said that because that's so true. Sometimes you forget because you're taking classes and you've got deadlines and you've got to write your papers and your dissertation and whatever. But at the end of the day, what you're doing is bringing hope to people, is doing research that's going to lead to new advances that one day, it may take five years, it may take 10 years, 20 years, who knows how, how much it takes, but that someday you can say, I was part of that or I was there when that happened. I was contributing to that process. What's so nice, and this goes to most all forms of medicine, is that a lot of these kids are doing it between the ages of 18 to mm-hmm. old doctors, maybe mid yeah. to late 20s. Oh, early, tw- early 20s, yeah. They yeah, have their whole yeah. lives to work to develop all these various research and mm-hmm. treatments, and it's so cool. And to repeat what you said, hope, optimism. Mm-hmm. On top of all your own research and your duties as a tenured professor, you're also the head of the Division of Cancer Research here at UCF. What's it like to oversee such an important division? Oh, that's a lot to say in one sentence. I, I, I really enjoy working with people and being part of helping to lead that cancer division. There's about, I want to say 11 or 12 researchers that kind of fall under that division. And it's part of what I do every day. It, it's not separate. I, I do my own research, but I am also have that eye on the division as a whole and bring them together. So it, it really integrates very well with my current duties. I, I don't see it as a separate thing, but it really falls alongside the things that I do every day. I teach students, I teach classes, I run my, my own lab, but the part of that process is also keeping that global idea of how I can help my fellow colleagues in the cancer division also be successful. 
And so it's all aligned together. That you have to manage and understand what's going on with everybody outside of yourself, but then also focusing on your own work. I can imagine that's a lot to juggle at sometimes. Well, like I said, it, it, it happens in parallel. We're very collaborative. And so, as I said, it, it's not really more work for me. It just aligns with the work that I currently do. So the successes in my lab extend to the division and the division successes feed back into mine. So it's kind of like a synergy. We're all in it together. Once person success is everybody's success. I love that. I imagine in a cancer research department, egos are probably set aside and there's not this competitive drive because one person's success is everybody's Mm -hmm. success. I mean, in my own theatrical experience, yeah, there's egos every now and then, but it's like, if you're good for the show and the show is good, that's on everybody. Everybody's good. Yeah, we're a team. We're a team. Everybody's doing their research and their thing, but cancer is very collaborative. It's a field where you really lean a lot on each other. Everybody's got an expertise. I don't have to be the expert of every single thing. I can go to my colleague and say, you know, I want to do this experiment. You've done it in your lab. Can you help me do it in mine? And this is the ideal situation. You've got this great team of folks that all have that joint vision of, yeah, we're, we're going to cure cancer one day. Not today, maybe, but down the road, that's our, our very ambitious goal. But we'll help each other today to do the things that we need to do. It sounds like collaboration, teamwork, and synergy Mm -hmm. are what help you balance your responsibilities. Exactly. You got it. Exactly. That seems to be a running trend here at UCF with all Mm -hmm. the amazing people I've had the pleasure to speak with is that UCF is just such a, and again, this is not a new thought, but it's just a great place for collaboration and teamwork. Two of the big (laughs) takeaways that you mentioned, everybody has their departments, but all the departments work together. And when all the departments are doing great, that just makes UCF look great. I don't know if it's just because of the way we're a young institution, right? Mm-hmm. In many ways, even biomedical research is barely a decade old. So we, we are still building our reputation. We're building our credibility in the state. And I think that part of that helps us lean on each other more. Maybe than we, if we were in a nice, established, fully funded institution with all the bells and whistles, more people can thrive on their own better. But, you know, here we really rely on each other to help each other move forward. That's why I love this place. A moment ago, we spoke about my personal experience with breast cancer, how it affected my life in my younger years. Have you been able to meet families of breast cancer patients through your work? Oh, yeah. So I actually work with two very important organizations for breast cancer in the state of Florida and in Orlando. The Florida Breast Cancer Research Foundation is a fantastic organization of folks, breast cancer survivors, as well as researchers, doctors, all sorts of individuals whose really focus is to eliminate breast cancer from the state of Florida. And so I've been working with that organization for a number of years and really get a chance to interact with all these folks. As I said, breast cancer survivor, breast cancer advocates, for folks that go all the way to Tallahassee and just do their best to, to get funds to help breast cancer survivors and breast cancer patients in the state of Florida, researchers like myself. So that's a great organization, the Florida Breast Cancer Foundation. Then I also work locally with the Orlando Sports Foundation, and they're also an organization uh, that's led by Alan Goosh, who's actually one of our first football coaches at UCF. He runs a, this fantastic foundation that is really trying to use sports and and sport venues like football, golf, even bowling, all these venues to drive awareness for breast cancer and fund breast cancer as well, generate funds for breast cancer. So working through that organization, again, I've met really great people who really have a a big heart and and really want to make an impact in, in our community. 
So like I said, I'm really blessed to have those two organizations that I can interact with and, and meet people. If you're wearing the pink, most people won't be able to see it. But, yes, uh, but we know. And we know wearing pink to signify, to recognize, mm-hmm. to honor the work people have gone mm-hmm. through and to recognize the hard work that still goes into breast cancer awareness. And to have individuals that promote breast cancer awareness is so special to see, is that this is not just some underground subculture. It is mm-hmm. in the general, it yeah. is in the zeitgeist. Again, you run into individuals who have experiences with breast cancer. Like myself, most people would be totally unaware that affected me in my younger years. It's not something that since then that I often reflect on, but it's in my mm-hmm. memories. And you run into people that you might not realize have had an experience, had a breast cancer scare, had a surgery to maybe remove a piece of themselves, and you don't realize that. Wearing pink is so special because it just, it's there. It exists. Yeah. You want to recognize it. The pink bracelets yeah. that individuals wear. Yes. And you notice it on somebody. And, and, I, and it's so true because it, it really says we're here. You're, you're not alone. This is not a fight you're doing by yourself. You've got... Right. All of us wearing pink because we all want to be part of that team, that big universal team that goes beyond Orlando, beyond Florida, that really is a global team that works towards supporting and helping and eliminating in the long run breast cancer. From the families and the patients that you have met, what have you been able to learn from them? Well, a lot of how they cope, I remember sitting at a luncheon one day and talking to a lady who had breast cancer. She's a survivor and she's taking treatments for decades that give her hot flashes. Now, you're young, you're a man, you don't know how hot flashes affect women, but I'm going through that and I can tell you it's miserable and I cannot imagine dealing for the rest of my life with hot flashes. But she has to because of the treatments that she's getting. And I remember sitting there going like, gosh, I wish I could make a therapeutic this woman could take in place of what she's taking right now and help her have a better quality of life if she's not living with these hot flashes. And so it's just things like that 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 I found just interacting with people really made me appreciate really how it's not just surviving, it's quality of life and making sure that what I do in my laboratory and the therapeutics and diagnostics that we move forward are always thinking of quality of life as well. We don't want to put something out there that are going to make people sick more than they are from the cancer that they're dealing with. That's so special. To, to touch back onto the young students working to mm-hmm. cure breast cancer, everybody has maybe their own motivations and their own stories mm-hmm. and what's inspired them, but it's all for this one larger goal. Exactly. And I I think it's important, if I could just make one more plug here, I think it's important that as a researcher, it doesn't matter, you know, what discipline you're working in, whether it's infectious disease or neuroscience, whatever field you're in, to always connect with the people, right? Connect with individuals. You know, that if, if you're working in disease, Alzheimer's, connect with those. If you're working with infectious disease, connect with people, HIV, because that connection really brings your research home. It really helps you focus your research on things that are going to impact people, not just something that's your own, like you said, ego, right? It's something that you're doing to drive something that's going to help the community. So I, I really love not just for myself, but also have my students connect with breast cancer survivors for that reason. Humanity, that mm-hmm. the individual in that room is not patient number 52. They are John Doe from Longwood, Florida. Exactly. 
I have a personal experience what you're saying. My involvement at UCF, I'm with an organization called Playback UCF, which we began with our focus. It's sort of people tell stories and we'll present them back through an improvised form. And we started with students. And of course, young college students have a lot of feelings. They feel things very strongly. And it was very special to perform back to get to know my cohort better. But then we transitioned and we work indefinitely with the aphasia house here in the UCF area. And really the one-on-one experience of people who live life with aphasia, it touches you in a way that like you don't expect going in. You might have an idea, but once you've experienced it firsthand, you don't forget that. And I think it helps put perspective to things. It really helps you say, okay, maybe what I was thinking wasn't so bad. My own little problems and my own little words, I can give perspective to them. It does. It's sort of a humbling, but not in a humbling like, oh man, now I feel Mm -hmm. bad. A humbling like, wow, I get to wake up every day and not worry about these sort of things. And and then value when these individuals are waking up every day and they're doing their lives and their things and and really the strengths that they have. I always admire that tremendously. Seriously. To go back to another point, we have hope, the students have hope, but the individuals who are living with this day-to-day, their hope is what I want to believe. Their hope is what inspires the hope of the younger generations to continue to work because when they get afflicted by it, they don't sit down and say, well, let me count down the clock. It's, no, I know that somebody's working for me. There's somebody out there who has me on their mind. And getting to a point you addressed earlier about your your patient's point of view and the individual's hope and point of view, your mental well-being, if you have hope, that really, whatever treatments, whatever therapy, whatever you're going through, you have a chance of doing better because your mental well-being is healthy. Right. And so that's why it's so critical not just to have the treatments and then whatever you're supposed to do, your doctor tells you is critical to do, but also along the same lines, you have the hope, you have the mental well-being because those two together, the treatments and the mental well-being is what's going to lead to ultimately a treatment outcome, a success. I love it. Do you have any other experiences or stories that keep yourself inspired? There's so many of them. I have to pick and choose. Any highlights? It's really just that being a survivor and then not knowing if a cancer is going to come back. I mean, that's the other big thing is somebody tells me I had breast cancer 20 years ago and then it came back and now it's metastatic. And now I have five years of survival is really bad at this point, 20% or something. So just talking to patients who who have metastatic cancer and just the way that they know they have almost a death sentence on their heads, and yet they still have the hope, still have that enthusiasm. I'm going to be here for my grandkids. I'm going to be here for my daughter's wedding. But so many of those stories really inspire me and say what we do every day, what we wake up in the morning, go to the lab, go to work, go to school, whatever we're doing, thinking of those people is really what drives a lot of that for me. Humanity, the one common that we all have. We're all humans. When you're faced with a crisis, like that humanity is even stronger. It comes out more. So I want to move on to this next question. What are some of the biggest mysteries of breast cancer that we're still trying to solve? Why it comes back. So I was telling you this recurrence. Why after you've had treatment and the cancer was removed and you've got all the therapy and you were given a clean bill of health, and then whammo, 5, 10, 20 years later, it comes back. We really do not know why. What changed? And, and, and a lot of times when it comes back, the treatments that worked the first time don't work anymore. 
So it really is a real challenge for physicians to know what to do for these patients. So that's one. And then the other one is the last few years, immunotherapy, that's basically taking your body's immune system and turning it on so it can kill cancer cells, has really been an, an exciting new research and therapeutic direction and a great successes for patients. But it doesn't work for all patients. In fact, it works for maybe under 30% of patients. When it does work, it's amazing. It's a cure. But why doesn't it work for everybody? That's the other big question. Why can't we get this immunotherapy that has been so successful in this group of patients to work for everybody else? How can a doctor know, do I give my patient immunotherapy or not? Those are kind of the two big things for me is that why does it come back? And then how do we figure out to give the patients their best treatments? Those are both two things that are, what a wild thing to think about. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to do what you do? Oh, you have to have a passion for it. Doing research is not something that you can just open the door and do. I think you, you really have to have a passion and a love for discovery and have a thick skin that you can put up with disappointment and struggle and the, the negative parts of it, but always have that passion for discovery and know that those moments when you have that aha, whoa, we just discovered something really cool to be able to live for those moments and enjoy them. So like I say, it's a vocation almost to do research. You got to pack your patience. Yes, endurance, lots of things that go with it. And, and surprisingly, optimism. I think you also have to have an optimistic mind frame because if you're pessimistic and you look always at the hole and not the donut, you're going to struggle. I, I think having a little bit of optimism is always good. Yeah, I believe that translates to most everything that people do. Is there a profession you can have where you can just be a pessimist? Maybe maybe like a critic. Yeah, you can be a critic. I I think there's some professions that work well with that. But I would say definitely in ours, because we have so much pessimism and there's so much negativity sometimes associated with doing medical research, that I think every little bit of optimism you can bring to it is important. Totally. So what's one thing that you're still hoping to do here at UCF and then on a personal level? Actually, those two things are tied together. So we're building a new cancer center. And this has been something that's been in the works for now going on three years. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to be able to be part of the process that we build our cancer center and really make it a place that's not only a place for students, a place for professors like myself to do research, a place for patients to come and get cutting-edge therapies, really a place where all that's integrated, where we we really have a a flow of knowledge from all these levels of students to professors to patients to doctors to everybody involved in treating a cancer patient. So really, it's ambitious, but I, I do see hope one day that we can be sitting here maybe 10 years down the road and saying, yeah, that Lake Nona Cancer Center, that's one of the top 10 cancer centers in the country for everybody to come to. I'm looking forward to it. I love the sound of a place where just knowledge, healing, growth is all just wrapped into one based out of here in Central Florida. And has that unique university of Central Florida culture, right? We were talking about earlier that collaborative culture that infuses our cancer center. True that. I think everything we spoke about today can be found at UCF, the collaboration, the teamwork, the optimism, the Mm -hmm. growth for the future, the humanity. It's all here at UCF. So now I want to say thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. I loved our conversation. You know, Thank you for letting me speak about my own personal experiences and for sharing your own experiences. It's been such a pleasure to get to learn more about something that I'm aware of, I have memories of, but to dive a little deeper into it and to get a better understanding mm-hmm. of it. So it's been a pleasure to get to speak with you, and thank you for coming on. 
Well, thank you for asking me. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so happy to hear about your grandmother, too. She's still here. I'm certain she'll love this episode. We wish her well for me. I certainly shall. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to stream and download on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. I hope you're enjoying learning how Knights are making a positive impact in our community, our nation, and the world. And hey, if you're doing something cool, whether that's at UCF or somewhere you took UCF that we should know about, send us an email at socialmedia at ucf.edu, and maybe we'll see you on an episode in the future. Go Knights and charge on.